In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I led you out of Egypt and you prepared a cross for me. I opened the Red Sea before you and you opened my side with a lance. I gave you a royal scepter and you've given me a crown of thorns. I lifted you up and you have hung me upon a cross. Oh, my people, what have I done to you that you should testify against me? From the reproaches of Good Friday. The veneration of the cross, accompanied by these familiar words and haunting chant, penetrates the very marrow of our being as we experience the suffering Saviour who is saying to each of us, My people, my people, what have I done to you? How have I offended you? Sounds like us talking about our children sometimes, doesn't it? I've done this and that for you, and what do I get in return? Disrespect, broken promises, dropouts... All of a sudden, Christ is beginning to sound like a long-suffering parent. My people, my people, what have I done to you? How have I offended you? This forms the high point of the Good Friday service as we approach and venerate the cross. In this telling and poignant poem-like chant of ancient origin, Christ himself reproaches us, making us more deeply aware of how our sinfulness and hardness of heart caused him such agony. We repaid his love with hatred and indifference, We repaid his generosity with meanness and spite. How does that make us feel? Do we treat those near and dear to us like this? Good Friday serves as a wake-up call for all of us. Will we continue to ignore, or will we pledge to stand up and take notice? Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My My guest this week is also going to be joining me for the whole show, because today is such an important day in the Judeo-Christian tradition but I want to set it apart from what I usually do. I want to give you something to ponder, something to take with you, something to make you want to wear those new clothes on Easter Sunday with new meaning, with a new heart, with a fresh perspective on what is really going on. Sarita Holtzman, co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum, is here to help me do just that. Sarita's going to be sharing with us a very special book, and together we're going to be talking about traditions and customs surrounding the Easter season. Tina, bear with us. You'll enjoy the hour. So grow, get, go grab your cuppa, maybe a hot cross bun or two, if you know what one is, and find someone to sit and be inspired for an hour. Sarita, hello, and welcome to this Good Friday show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How are you today? I'm good, and the weather's gorgeous. How about by you? Well, um, it's warm, and it's still windy, but um, no raining, so I'm not complaining. It's good. Um, let's begin by talking a little bit about some of the familiar and not-so-familiar customs associated with today in particular. I know in my house this morning, I made hot cross buns. 
They're supposed to have originated in St. Albans Abbey in 1361, where the monks would make a sweet roll to distribute to the poor who came to their door. On Good Friday, they'd mark a cross into the buns to signify the solemnity of the day. These buns are nothing more than little sweet rolls. You can make it out of a cinnamon roll or a pecan roll with currants, fruit zest and allspice. And I etch a cross in the top of the bun to remind us of the significance of the day. Once they come out of the oven, I drizzle them with sweet icing and they make a fragrant and delicious treat to go with a morning cup of coffee. They also started this day of fasting and abstinence perfectly. Whole cross buns have a song about them, which I won't sing, <laughs> and are very popular in England a few weeks before and after Easter. And I have to admit that no matter how well I make them, nothing beats the shop-bought fare when I'm at home. <laughs> Sarita, since eggs are a universal symbol for Easter, I wonder if you know why is a lamb so heavily depicted in churches during this season? Well, I believe it goes back to the days of the Passover, when the people of Israel were stuck in Egypt for more than 400 years. And at at that point, God said, it's time. It's time to go back to your homeland. And he sent uh, Moses to confront the Pharaoh and the king of the land, and say, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh refused to do what God had asked him to do, so God sent ten plagues on Pharaoh and his people. Uh, the tenth plague included uh, the, the angel of death coming, and God gave provision for the people of Israel and told them to kill a lamb and to spread its blood on the doorposts of their home. And in any household where... Uh, The blood of the lamb was spread on the doorposts. At that point, the angel of death did not come. Uh, I think it's a beautiful picture of how God protects and saves and redeems his people from death. Uh, That Passover lamb, that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, When you think about lambs through the uh, Old Testament, uh, the very first lamb that sacrificed was done by Abel. Uh, the son of Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning of time, shortly after Adam and Eve had fallen. And he brought it a lamb as a sacrifice for himself. Uh, So one lamb, one man. When you get to the Passover lamb, it's one lamb for a full family. Anyone that was behind that doorpost, that protected, uh, seen, uh, delivered from the angel of death, a lamb for a family. Uh, When the people of Israel traveled to the promised land, and Moses gave them the law. At that point, he commanded a lamb for the nation. Once once a year, on the Day of Atonement, a lamb or a goat was uh, the the high priest laid his hands, and that goat was sent out, and the sins of the people were sent out into the wilderness. A very beautiful picture of one lamb for a nation. And I think the picture of Jesus dying for the entire world is the ultimate uh, representation of a lamb. So I'm grateful. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to eat lamb on Easter Sunday to celebrate the beautiful picture of the Lamb of God slain for man. Wonderful. You have a beautiful voice, Sarita. Thank you so much for that. That was lovely. Well, I still have to go back to the egg because it's a popular symbol from a very early age. And I'll always remember hunting Easter eggs with my parents. And then as I grew up with my own children, the egg is one of the oldest spring symbols in the world. Primitive people saw it as the same shape as a raindrop or a seed 
both signs of life. When eggs began to hatch, people knew that life would continue after the bleakness of winter, so they celebrated. As the story of the resurrection grew, people began to see the egg as a symbol of the tomb from which Christ rose. Hatchings were seen as the promise of the new life Jesus had given, and the giving of eggs as a gift began to take on deeper meaning. During my German childhood, I sought these special treats dropped upon the lane or pathway on our way home from Mass. My father and mother would scatter them as they walked ahead of me and my brother, and we'd run up to them and show our finds, and they'd invariably say, go back, look harder, we're sure we saw some more along the way. As we grew older, the hunt would extend along larger areas of land, a common or a deserted playground, but they always occurred after Mass on the way home to breakfast. Don't ask me what we did if it rained. Children rarely remember rainy days. When I came to America, I discovered the plastic egg. We could fill it with our own treats. And we had a large garden. And because we didn't walk home from Mass, not because we didn't go to Mass, but because we drove, we'd hide the eggs in different sections of the garden and give the children baskets to go and collect in their assigned corners. And this year, in a massive cleaner, I threw away all our brightly colored eggs that we'd collected over the years. Alas, there are no more small children to delight at the moment. However, Malia and I did did bring home some special eggs from our recent visit to England, large foil-wrapped chocolate shells filled with assortments of sweets like Whisper or Flake or Cadbury Buttons. And if you're not into the English sweeties, you probably won't know what those are, but my children do. Um, Sarita, on Easter Sunday, I'm sure your church as well as our church is filled with Easter lilies. And each country undoubtedly has its own spring flower that blooms abundantly at this time of year. In England, for example, it's the beautiful yellow daffodil. So um, do you know or can you tell us how the lily became the universal Easter flower? Well, I didn't know until I did some research, and it turns out that the lily has been the symbol of Easter for centuries, which I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And as I thought about it, I thought, I think it's probably because of the beautiful white color of the lily, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the yellow of the daffodil, since white has always been the symbol of purity. And I think uh, the pure lamb of God slain for us, we want to be able to celebrate the Easter lily. Uh, And as I read about it, it talked about the fact that it's a bulb that we plant, we bury it, and then it rebirths itself each year. It's a symbol and it's a picture of uh, Jesus going down into the grave and coming up again into new life. So novel and so different from what anyone else has done, conquering the grave, what a majesty. Mm. And, I, and I think, too, the fragrance of the Easter lily has to be mm. a true draw from that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're commanded to be the fragrance of Christ, that uh, as we go through life where we uh, demonstrate his love for the peoples of this earth, I just think the fragrance is a good reminder to live as people uh, that walk in the light of the Lord. Oh, that's wonderful. And, I, you know, our church, when we go there tomorrow for the uh, the big high mass that celebrates um, the vigil and then the first Easter mass of the morning, the church does smell absolutely beautiful. Mm. Well, just before we go on our break here, I want to mention the Easter parade. As the weather started to loosen up for spring, people in the Middle Ages would make their new clothes for Easter Sunday mass to represent the shedding of the old life and the darkness of winter and the dawning of the new life with the promise of spring. Mm. 
Traditionally, after mass, these people would go on a long walk to show off their new finery to their neighbors. This was the forerunner to the Easter parade, if you can believe that. It's come a long way from people strolling along the lanes and by roads to admire one another's new clothes. So if you haven't already, go out and buy a new frock or a hat or at least a new ribbon for your hair. Celebrate the new life Christ has given us by rising from the dead. Well, um, I have a minute here, and I just want to say that I know last week I was battling a cold, and so I jokingly said that my cold was my guest. And I thought I'd be getting better this week, but for some reason, it just has got worse, steadily worse and worse and worse. And this is such an intense week for me up at church. You know, we've got the spring cleaning, and I'm serving at several masses and chanting at one of the masses, and I'm going, how am I going to do that? But somehow... I will, because God's will will prevail. So um, I just wanted to say that if I sound a little bit odd, I am working my hardest um, today to get get through this. I've got my cup of hot water. And um, we're getting ready to go on a break. And so Sarita and I will be back um, after these few messages. And Sarita's going to be bringing us um, a favorite book. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. 
And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, we're back, and I'm thrilled to hand the reins over to Sarita. Sarita is co-finder of Sunlight Curriculum, and she's my guest this week. And um, she is graciously going to um, lead the next part of this show. So all yours, Sarita. Thank you very much. Uh, As we talked about how to best present the story of Good Friday and Easter, um, I'm committed to the fact that I think books oftentimes make things come alive for us. Uh, So as we wrestled with which book possibly we could use, uh, the Lord brought to mind The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I'd like to give a little bit of background um, information on what happens in the story and then read a section of the story that I think exemplifies uh, what we celebrate today, Good Friday. Uh, The Book of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, is set in Narnia, which is a land of no humans but with talking animals, and it is covered in enchantment. It's always winter and never Christmas. Uh, There's spies everywhere, and the land is full of fear. It's not a very pleasant place to be at this point in time. The main characters are four children who walk through a door and enter this land where, again, no people live. And while they're there, they discover that the land is under the enchantment of the White Witch, who controls the land through an evil power. Um, And while they're there, they discover that there's a figure who's coming back to deliver this land called Aslan, who's the true king. And Aslan, of course, is a picture of Christ. Uh, The conflict of the story is good versus evil. Uh, One of the children, while he's in the land of Narnia, meets up with the White Witch and allies himself with her. He becomes a traitor to the good that's happening with Aslan and his siblings. Uh, He allies himself to the witch through lies and through uh, eating some of her food. Um, And he gets to the point where he's off with her and has to be rescued by Aslan's band. Once he's rescued, he does repent and seeks again to belong to Aslan's kingdom. But alas, uh, the queen, the wicked witch, who calls herself the Queen of Narnia, comes to Aslan and says there is an ancient law, she calls it the deep magic, that was written from the beginning of time in Narnia and enforced by the emperor across beyond the sea, who of course stands for the father, which declares that every traitor belongs to the wicked witch as her lawful prey, and that for every treachery she has a right to kill. The witch declares the human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. Aslan goes off with the witch and actually cuts a deal with her where he trades his life for the traitor uh, Edmund who has sought to betray his even brothers and sisters. He exchanges his life for Edmund's. And when you think about that, it's a very uh, scary picture to think that the one person who can make things right in Narnia, the one person who can destroy the power of the wicked witch forever, willingly set, uh, gives up his life for Edmund. And I'm going to read uh, the, the moving story of his death. So please uh, pick it up with me where Aslan uh, willingly walks up to the witch and gives up his life. Here it comes. A howl and a gibber of dismay went up from the creatures when they first saw the great lion pacing toward them. And for a moment, the witch herself seemed to be struck with fear. 
Then she recovered herself and gave a wild, fierce laugh. The fool, she cried, the fool has come. Bind him fast. Uh, Two of the sisters are watching, Lucy and Edmund. I'm sorry, Lucy and Susan held their breaths, waiting for Aslan's roar and his spring upon his enemies. But it never came. Four hags, grinning and leering, yet also at first hanging back, and half afraid of what they had to do, had approached him. Bind him, I say, repeated the white witch. The hags made a dart at him and shrieked with triumph when they found that he made no resistance at all. Then others, evil dwarfs and apes, rushed in to help them, and between them they rolled the huge lion around on his back and tied all his four paws together, shouting and cheering, as if they had done something brave. Though had the lion chosen, one of those paws could have been the death of them all. But he made no noise, even when the enemy, straining and tugging, pulled the cords so tight that they cut into his flesh. Then they began to drag him toward the stone table, which was the place where he would be killed. Stop, cried the witch. Let him first be shaved. Another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Aslan's head. Snip, 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 went the shears and masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. Then the ogre stood back, and the children, watching from their hiding place, could see the face of Aslan looking all small and different without its mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Why, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we were afraid of, said another. And they surged around Aslan, jeering at him, saying things like, Puss, puss, poor pussy, and how many mice have you caught today, cat, and... Would you like a saucer of milk, pussums? Oh, how can they, said Lucy, tears streaming down her cheeks. The brutes, the brutes. For now that the first shock was over, the shorn face of Aslan looked to her braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. Muzzle him, cried the witch. And even now, as they worked about his face, putting on the muzzle, one bite from his jaws would have cost two or three of them their hands. But he never moved. And this seemed to enrage all that rabble. Everyone is at him now. Those who had been afraid to come near him even after he was bound began to find their courage. And for a few minutes the two girls could not even see him. So thickly was he surrounded by the whole crowd of creatures kicking him, hitting him, spitting on him, jeering at him. At last the rabble had had enough of this. They began to drag the bound and muzzled lion to the stone table, some pulling and some pushing. He was so huge that even when they got him there, it took all their efforts to hoist him onto the surface of it. Then there was more tightening and tying of cords. The cowards, the cowards, sobbed Susan. Are they still afraid of him even now? When once Aslan had been tied, and tied so that he really was a mass of cords, On the flat stone, a hush fell on the crowd. Four hags, holding four torches, stood at the corners of the table. The witch bared her arms as she had bared them the previous night when it had been Edmund instead of Aslan. Then she began to whet her knife. It looked to the children when the gleam of the torchlight fell on it, as if the knife were made of stone and not steel, and it was of a strange and evil shape. At last, she drew near. She stood by Aslan's head. Her face was working and twitching with passion. But his looked up at the sky, still quiet, neither angry nor afraid, 
but a little sad. Then, just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, And now, who has won? Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hand then? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever. You have lost your own life, and you have not saved his. In that knowledge, despair and die. The children did not see the actual moment of the killing. They couldn't bear to look and had covered their eyes. Beautiful. (laughs) Yes. Well, right at the very beginning of that, um, C.S. Lewis is very clever because he says a land where it was winter. And so, of course, you immediately think, oh, winter, you know, snowballs, snowmen, all that kind of stuff, skating and sledding, but never Christmas. Right. I mean, and, and then immediately, you know, I remember when I read that for the very first time, I went, oh, you know, <laughs> because that was the best part about uh, the uh, winter season was Christmas. And so he got you right from the very beginning. Right. It's a beautiful picture of the sacrifice on behalf of just even one person, mm-hmm. one person who had uh, betrayed all of his friends and family. Uh, he was willing to have his brothers and sisters killed so that mm-hmm. he could, quote, quote, rule with the, with the queen, the wicked witch of, of Narnia. Mm-hmm. And I think even Edmund, as you read the story, recognizes that she is evil, that he's made a wrong choice. But at this point, he can't extricate himself without the help of the lion. Mm. And, and I like the image at the um, end there where Aslan's walking walking um, to his death. But the girls go with him. Lucy That's and Susan walk side by side with their arms entwined and, and tangled in his mane. And they actually go with him. And uh, I think that's that's wonderful. That's a wonderful image. I didn't read it earlier, but it's uh, one of the comments that Lewis makes uh, when the girls first hear about Aslan coming back to Narnia to to deliver the land. Uh, The beaver says to them, you know, first Susan says, well, is he a man? And, uh, of course, Mr. Beaver says, oh, no, he's the king of the beast. He's a beast. Mm -hmm. And uh, Susan says, well, what kind of a beast? Oh, he's a lion. The king of the beast would be a lion. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, is he a tame lion? <laughs> and Mr. Beaver said, no, he does. And I have used that often in my own life when things don't go exactly as I think they should. I just remember that I don't control God. He's not a tame lion. He's not someone that I need to um, expect things to happen the way I think they should go, but he mm-hmm. does things the way he should go. Mm-hmm. And at the very end there where they've shaved him and they, they bound him and put him on the, the stone table, they're still afraid of him. That's because right. I think, I think Lucy and Susan know that he has that power. And they, all the people, I think, sort of know that he has the power, the same power that Christ had on the cross. You know, people jeered at Christ and said, save yourself, save yourself if you are the Son of God. And he could, but that wasn't part of the deal. That's right. It was a choice he laid down willingly. I think that's a beautiful piece, too, of this, too, where he's marching in. Can you imagine walking into your own death, knowing that you're going to be uh, abused and mocked and reviled and spit upon and hated 
and walk in willingly, gave up his life willingly. Beautiful picture of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, for those of you just joining us, Sarita Holtzman and I are bringing you a special Good Friday show this afternoon, a mixture of customs, traditions, and literary excerpts related to the season. And um, we'll be back after this short break, so go get yourselves another cuppa. Mm-hmm. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back, and um, I hope you enjoyed that um, last segment. Um, I loved reading that. It makes me want to go back and read the whole series of um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and all the Narnia books that go with it. Um, each year, well, again, I've already read it many times, but, you know, you put it up on your shelf when your children get older, and, and uh, it doesn't very often get pulled back down again until you, you know, sort of are reminded about it. Um, each year on Good Friday at our old church, there was an elder who always read the following story. He was a Dallas police officer of large proportions, perfectly fit, but six foot six inches of law and order, 
flesh and blood, and a pious Christian to boot. Had he been around during the crucifixion 2,000 years ago, the soldiers would have nabbed Jess Hayes to carry Jesus' cross instead of Simon of Cyrene, I'm sure. And I dedicate this to your memory, Jess, complete with the tears that you would shed when you read it. It's called The Ragman by Walter Rangerin. Early one Friday morning, I was walking through the streets of the town and I came across a giant man, six feet, four inches tall, pulling a cart filled with rags. Although they were but scraps of clothes, they were clean and bright, as was the peddler calling out the wares. Rags, come get your rags, clean, new rags. I'll make your old, take your old ones and trade them for new. I was very curious to see such a sight, not that I had never witnessed people trying to make a buck on the cruel streets, but this fellow seemed so hardy and strong. Certainly he could find work doing something other than pushing rags. I decided to follow him at a distance to see what he was up to. At his first stop, he came across a sad woman crying at the stoop of her apartment building. She held a stained scrap of cloth to her face as the man approached. He stepped over garbage and broken toys and offered the woman a clean handkerchief. As he did so, her tears dried up and her entire face brightened. But as he walked away, the ragman began to sob uncontrollably. He wiped his face with the old dirty cloth that he had taken from the sad woman on the porch. I shook my head in wonder. The next person that the ragman came upon was a little girl. Her head was wrapped in a bandage that was dark with blood. As the ragman approached, she lifted her eyes and asked for a lovely hat to adorn her head. How could he resist? He reached into his bag and pulled out a yellow bonnet that would fit her just perfectly. Before he laid it on her, he unwound the bandage from the little girl's head and placed it around his own. As he did so, a thin stream of blood emerged from his forehead and trickled down his cheek. He didn't mind at all as he placed the cheery hat upon the girl's head and went on his way. Happiness crossed her face for the first time in many days, and the ragman staggered into the street. By this time, the sun had moved to a high point in the sky, and the ragman looked up and grew worried. He started to move more quickly and with a greater purpose. Eventually, he came to a man leaning against a telephone pole. "'Can I offer you clean clothes for work?' the ragman offered. The other man sneered and laughed. "'How can I work when I only have one arm?' He lifted his jacket away, showing the empty sleeve. The ragman simply said, "'Let's exchange coats.' What happened next, I still cannot believe. The ragman removed his jacket, and with it came his right arm. He handed it to the man at the telephone pole, who gladly put it on, and walked away whole and happy. The ragman kept going, this time a bit more slowly. The ragman hurried down the street. Before long, he came upon a drunk, huddled against the edges of an overpass, covered in a blanket, the stench of which I simply will not relate here. It didn't bother the ragman, however... He lifted off that awful rag from the drunk and gave him brand new coverings. Immediately, the man stood up and walked away with a strength and purpose not seen in years. The ragman stumbled and fell with the burden of the old blanket draped over his shoulders. Still, he moved along ever more urgently that afternoon. He moved through the streets, crying, bleeding, pulling his cart with one arm and stumbling along through a haze of drunkenness. He was in such a hurry I could hardly keep up with him. Eventually, he reached a garbage pit. The ragman climbed to the top of the, land, top of the landfill and laid out a large blanket. He fluffed up his jacket for a pillow and laid his exhausted head down. The ragman covered himself with the drunk man's filthy blanket, closed his eyes and died. 
Oh, how shocking and terrible. I was not expecting this at all. I slunk away to my bedroom and cried myself to sleep. I had come to love the ragman, and yet he had seemingly died alone. I was so distraught, I slept all the way through Friday night and Saturday. All of a sudden, I was awakened on Sunday morning by a bright light. The amazingly hard, pure, startling light came streaming into my room that day. I could hardly open my eyes. When I did, I had to blink several times. Yet still, I did not believe what I saw. There, standing before me, was the ragman. The only sign of his suffering the days before was a small scar on his forehead. Other than that, he was entirely intact. I could not believe it and was filled with shame. I lowered my eyes and my head and hesitantly approached the ragman. Stripping myself of all my clothes, I stood before him naked. Please, I implored him, dress me. The ragman turned and chose one of the many shining cloths next to him. The entire room was filled with his glory. He dressed me then, my lord, that day with new rags. I am a wonder beside him, the ragman, the Christ. Hmm. That's a different way to look at new clothes. Allow the Lord to dress you. Hmm. Well, since home was our total school unit, I was able to set the Lenten and Easter... with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millat, at 11, 10 central on toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R, realize it is possible. E, embrace all relationships. A, advance through adversity. D, develop your significance. M, manage your health and wealth. Y, yield to your natural abilities. L, listen to your heart. I, invest in yourself. P, persist by taking small steps. And S. Uh, We're grateful for the opportunity to talk about uh, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, As we think about the ragman and the sacrifice he made on behalf for all of us. What a what a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us as well. Um, as I think about um, 
the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and how the girls uh, were standing on the hillside having watched Aslan die at the hands of the witch. Um, the, the suffering that they went through as they thought about, um, I'd like to share some of that here. Uh, when the two girls were crouching, um, all of a sudden the witch gets up and leaves with all of her horde to go and attack all their friends and family. Uh, the girls, though, are uh, up on the hill, and they went over and looked at Aslan and um, felt as sad as they could. They bent, then knelt in the wet grass and kissed his cold face and stroked his beautiful fur, what was left of it, until and cried until they could cry no more. And then they looked at each other and held each other's hand for mere loneliness and cried again and again. And then Lucy said, oh, I can't bear that muzzle. So they start trying to take off the ropes that were on him. Um, I hope, uh, C.S. Lewis says, I hope no one who reads this book has ever been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you've ever been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. At any rate, that was how it felt to those two. And the hours and the hours went by with dead calm, and uh, the, the girls are getting colder and colder. But at last, Lucy noticed two other things. One was that the sky on the east side of the hill was a little less dark than it had been an hour ago. The other was some tiny movement going on in the grass at her feet. And what that is is uh, there's some mice that come, and they actually nibble and cut off and tear off all the ropes that uh, were tying Aslan down. Um, it's definitely getting lighter now. Uh, each of the girls noticed for the first time the white face of the other. And the sky in the east was whitish by now, and the stars were getting fainter, all except one very big one, low down on the eastern horizon. They felt colder than they had been all night. Uh, the girls cleared away the remains of the gnawed ropes. In the wood behind them, a bird gave a chuckling sound. It had been so still for hours and hours that it startled them. And then another bird answered it. Soon there were birds singing all over the place. It was quite definitely early morning now, not late night. I'm cold, said Lucy. So am I, said Susan. Let's walk about a bit. So they walked to the eastern hill of the edge of the hill and looked down and walked back and forth, trying, trying hard to get warm. And uh, we'll wait and hear what happens um, in a bit. But the night of sorrow, the night of uh, sadness, when they recognize that Aslan has died and there's no hope, there's no, the witch has been released on Narnia, they uh, will be uh, fearful of even what can happen in the future, knowing that their brothers will be fighting this witch and her evil horde. Uh, definitely a dark night, a night of sorrow, a night of that portrays the time when Jesus spent in the grave. Uh, we're grateful, uh, even for that time of suffering and sorrow, to remember uh, what Jesus has done for us. Um, The girls, uh, let me finish read, reading what it says then here. Uh, they walked to and fro more times than they could count between the dead Aslan in the eastern ridge, trying to keep warm, and oh, how tired their legs felt. Then at last, as they stood, they could just see uh, the red going to gold.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Come learn with me as the show created as much for the host as the audience. Join host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central, on toginet.com, as she invites you to get your boots on and walk through life's triumphs and troubles with her. Come learn with me as the beginning of a movement, a community filled with caring people who share information, allowing everyone to participate, gain, and grow. What works? What doesn't? Your host, Danny Walker, is a self-proclaimed student, not expert, and she'll share very candidly passions, perspectives, failures, her family's battle with illness, her restaurant inspirations to keep being a wife, parent, and more, all the while including industry experts, disease survivors, and guests to add to the mix. For more on Danny and her show, go to dannywalker.com, D-A-N-I-Walker.com. If you've ever searched high and low to find answers to sickness, disease, and debt, come learn with me, and let's get our questions answered together. Come learn with me with host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central on toginet.com. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Linda Link is Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindale Link. Lindale, Texas is a growing chain of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Lindale Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, Sarita? Yes, I'm here. Yes, you're there. Well, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know what I had a technical issue. It must be all the wind in this area here. So um, just let me know where you are and, and what you're doing, and you can finish what you're doing. I'd be glad to. I've just gone through the story of the two girls who have been spending the whole night uh, grieving at the loss of Aslan and his death. And I'd like to pick up with, um, as the day is getting lighter, I'd like to pick up with what happens in the story of, um, and actually mirrors what happened in Jesus' story as well. So the girls are on top of this mountain and the, the sky is lightning. The red turned to gold along the line where the sea and the sky met. They're on a hill and they're looking out over the ocean. And very slowly came up over the edge of the sun. And at that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. What's that? said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. I I, I feel afraid to turn around, said Susan. Something awful is happening. They're doing something worse to him, said Lucy. Come on! And she turned, pulling Susan around with her. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed that for a moment they didn't see the important thing. 
Then they did. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. Oh, 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 cried the two girls, rushing back to the table. Oh, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. They're shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan, asked Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. You're not, not a... Asked Susan in a shaky voice. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath and the rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair came all over her. Do I look it, he said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean? asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would break and death itself would start working backwards. And now? Oh, yes, now, said Lucy, jumping up and clapping her hands. Oh, children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh, children, catch me if you can. He stood for a moment, his eyes very bright, his limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. Then he made a leap high over their heads and landed on the other side of the table. Laughing, though she didn't know why, Lucy scrambled over it to reach him. Aslan leaped again. A mad chase began. Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail, now diving between them, now tossing them in the air with his huge and beautifully velveted paws, and catching them again, and now stopping unexpectedly, so that all three of them rolled over together in happy, laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. It was such a romp as no one has ever had except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was that when all three finally lay together panting in the sun, the girls no longer felt at, at in the least tired or hungry or thirsty. And the story goes on and finishes with Aslan and the two girls going off and joining the ranks of Narnians who are fighting against the evil witch and her horde, and the battle that day is won, and the witch is routed, and Aslan regains the rulership, the rightful rulership of the land of Narnia. Well, um, in the book, there is an illustration, and, and of course, the stone table, to me, last night at, at our service, 
the Monday Thursday service where they do the foot washing and then they strip the altar. And our altar just stands and it's just completely bare, this marble stone table. Hmm. And I go, oh my gosh. I mean, that is just such a powerful image too. Um, yeah. And then the cross above it and that. And breaking the table, you know, that matches the hmm. temple um, being broken when uh, Jesus died on the cross. And uh, yeah, that's a lovely, lovely story. I think it's a very beautiful picture of uh, the breaking of the power of death. That's kind of what, the, to me, the image of the stone table is. The breaking of that, when Jesus conquered death forever uh, and with his uh, miraculous power and uh, rolled away the stone. Now, the people didn't have to come and roll away the stone. Jesus he wasn't inside the tomb knocking on the door, let me out, let me out. He rolled away the stone and, and uh, had it open so that people could come and see that he was gone. Well, thank you so much, Sarita, for um, reading um, those beautiful two excerpts out of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I need to give you a little little bit of a break now while I continue. I think I had uh, technical problems that have now been fixed, except I'm on a phone. I'm not on my Skype, but that's okay. Um, so um, at this time of the year, spring cleaning is a big activity. And um, we spring clean in our house, although I definitely do wish that I could pay a service to come in and whisk away all the dust. The bright green leaves outside exude cleanliness. There's no more dead wood and bare branches. And the view from my study window, as I've said before, is now a backdrop of many different shades of green. And because it's been raining, there's a dampness about the greenery that gives it the feel of bursting forth. We have our annual Easter party on Sunday, so of course, my house is subjected to a deep clean, and suddenly all the children are busy. Simon's out buying a new car. He's working out alone, hearing conflicting opinions about the reliability and expense of a particular model that he's interested in. The wind seems to have died down a bit, although it's picked up again um, this afternoon, and apparently there have been fires to the north of us. So not only have I been um, inhaling allergen-producing pollens, but also soaps. No wonder I feel so breathless. Mm -hmm. I decided not to put many flowers in pots outside this year. I'm going to keep them around me inside for a change, because invariably come July, the weather gets too hot, and all they do is die anyway. So my potted flowers are bound for me to enjoy inside at the moment. And earlier on this week, we had a stray tomcat prowling around in our um, ha- in our back garden. And um, he turned on the charm. He was a cat, after all. And yes, I fell for it. I encouraged him and invited him in for a bite to eat. And I found some leftover salmon in our refrigerator and took it to the back step and he walked it down. I didn't know cats ate that fast. We always had very <laughs> delicate eating cats. Must have been starving. Then I noticed that he was trying to get to the nest a couple of birds had cunningly taken over. The original nest a couple of years ago had been precariously fashioned and balanced on one of our rain gutters. And during a high windstorm, it had been swept off, complete with little baby birds. We retrieved it and used filler goop to stick it more securely back in place on the guttering. But the original architect shunned the newly positioned home and it stayed vacant until this year when a new couple moved in. Now I could see the cat was attached to one of my screens, looking rather like those Garfield sucker dolls in car windows. 
who's trying to climb to the nest and gobble up the babies. I suppose he needs to continue to find his own food, but not in my back garden. So now my blue-eyed cowboy has armed himself with a water bottle to keep the marauder away, and I'm kicking myself for encouraging him, while the cat, not my handsome hubby. (laughs) Well, um, what do we have? Um, We've got about three minutes left on this um, wonderful Good Friday show. So um, what plans do you have for Easter Sunday, Sarita? Uh, We'll be eating together with all of our family every Sunday. We meet together as a family. Uh, We usually go to a restaurant because I don't like to cook. Uh, But we sit around and talk and laugh. Of course, that's after we've gone to church. And we oftentimes discuss the the sermon and Mm -hmm. uh, talk about what we've sung. And I can't wait for Easter. It's one of my favorite services of the year when we celebrate and uh, there's just a joy that occurs at that point in time, isn't there? Yes, there is. So how, what, how many children? I mean, how big is your family gathering? Well, we have, um, I have one daughter that lives out of state, so she and her husband and their four children will not be with us. They just moved a year ago. But before that, it was about uh, 13 of us, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> which is uh, very, <laughs> yes, it's a huge privilege. And, uh, and that they all get along is, I think, really a credit to homeschooling because they're very different personalities and in the regular world, they would never have even been friends. <laughs> really, really, yes, no. yes. I suppose that's the same with um, our children as well. Well, yeah. um, between us, Sarita and I have used up a whole hour, which has just flown by. Um, I think you'll agree. And I hope you had an enjoyable time with us as we shared some literature and stories about this time of year. And I hope you're ready to remember Christ's crucifixion tonight, the mm-hmm. silence of his death tomorrow and the eternal joy of his resurrection on Sunday. I'm off to partake in the veneration of the cross and the singing of the reproaches. And then on Saturday, I am again subdeacon at the Great Easter Vigil, which begins with the lighting of new fire. We'll probably have a baptism or two and listen to lots of Old Testament stories as we wait for the good news of the resurrection. Hmm. On Easter morning, we'll have Mass, followed by a parish brunch. And then our Easter party, high tea in the afternoon. Hopefully we'll see you, John and Jill and Kerry, and anyone else from Toginet who wants to come. So I'll say thank you this week to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, and especially my guest, Sarita Holtzman, co-founder of Sunlight Curriculum. Thank you so much, Sarita, for joining me. Um, my faithful listeners, Hannah, Tina, it wasn't so bad, was it? And Rosemary, join me again next week for another special show from my home in Texas. Happy Easter and have a glorious weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you Goodbye, Sarita. Have a Thank wonderful you so much. Thank you so much. And I, I don't think I handled it anywhere near as well as you did, but it's a huge privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on